The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. Our guest today is another one of our 25 under 25 winners from the class of 2016. Her name is Mandy Shoemaker, and she is the co-founder of Prairie Elder Care, which she founded with her sister-in-law, Michaela Gibson, uh, just a few years ago. She's a Kansas City native, but she spent quite a bit of time on the West Coast. For 20 years, she worked as an elementary school teacher, a consultant, and a principal. And then when she and her sister-in-law decided to venture out on their own to help people navigate the challenging care of seniors. And her, their first care home opened in July 2014. And, of course, this is where she's found her true passion, caring for people who are living with dementia and being a small business owner. And she and Michaela currently have two residential care homes for people with dementia, and they have plans for expansion in 2017. Welcome to the show today, Mandy. Thanks. And congratulations on the 25 under 25. It's so fun to still be celebrating. Yeah, yeah, that was a. It's it's been a fun experience for us. Well, let's talk about why you won. I, uh, <laughs> you have such a wonderful. I guess you could put it that way. You have such a wonderful company, and you feel such a need. Now, tell us about Prairie Elder Care and what you do there. Well, our focus is uh, the small home environment. We have just eight residents in each of our home, each of our homes, and. Um, we really focus on giving them back community connection and control. Uh, when somebody's diagnosed with Alzheimer's or dementia, it's the beginning of a series of so many losses for them and their families. And we've really focused on how can we, in our setting, give those things back to them to uh, to have a little bit more purpose to their life and to uh, create an environment that's that's really different than what's available anywhere else. When you talk about uh, people, uh, you know, it's a group home for Alzheimer's, trying uh-huh. to reconnect them with some things that uh, are maybe familiar to them. I know that I read about an instance where uh, someone liked to be made up every day. Sure. And, and so you, you made sure that she got made up every day. Another mm-hmm. person loved checking the mailbox. So you had a little mailbox put outside of the home where she could go and check little notes from mm-hmm. uh from various people that were put in there. So you try to make things familiar. Yes. Um, is, what, what are some of the, the ways that you, in an, those are special circumstances that you do for them. What are some of just the everyday kinds of things that people can expect from the experience of living in one of your homes? Well, one of the things that happens when somebody's in a bigger facility is they really have to operate on a schedule so that they can plan when meals are going to be ready and and, uh, time frames during which people can be served. And typically the workers are very compartmentalized. There's one person who gives showers to everybody. There's one Mm -hmm. person who gives the medications. For us, our workers are, they do everything. 
So um, if somebody wakes up at 11 o'clock in the morning and they really love breakfast, they can have a full breakfast at 11 o'clock in the morning and then, you know, a light lunch at two. So, mm-hmm. um, so we're really able to adapt to their routines that they've always had rather than have them adapt to us. I think another thing, too, that has a, I think if I'm ever in that situation, it'll have a big impact on me um, is seeing my, watching my food be prepared rather than feeling like it's coming through some swinging door and being mm-hmm. delivered to me every day or for every meal, um, I can watch it being prepared. And, and there's a much more of a feeling of familiarity in that kind of setting. Sure. And, and think about that for a minute. Uh, when we prepare food for our families or whenever we have guests over, so much of the social experience of eating that meal is sitting there beforehand having conversation. I don't know, you know how advanced uh, some of the residents are, mm-hmm. but it's that social aspect of sitting there while it's being prepared and the bonds that are created and so forth. So I, I think that's that's a really neat aspect of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When uh, So how, how are the patients and what stages are they? Do they have to be at a certain point before they're accepted in the home or is there a point at which you can't care for them anymore? Um, how, how does that all factor into uh, who who is selected to live there? Sure. Um, we care for people at all stages of dementia. So um, it, it is our goal to be the last home for our residents. So we do care for them through end of life um, with the support of hospice. And so hospice typically comes in and, and provides the family with that extra support needed and our staff with that extra support needed. On the other end of the spectrum, in terms of, you know, I'd say that's even a little bit harder sometimes, people that are uh, earlier stages, Mm -hmm. um, because they're a lot more aware of their deficits and trying really, really, really hard to cover them up. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So I wouldn't say that there is a, you know, that they have to be to a certain stage to be able to move in, but we also want it to make sense for them. And we, we don't want a family to have to start paying our kind of rates for, for a memory care setting if they really don't need it. So, you know, we would say to them, well, you know, we don't know that we'd really, they might not be happy if, if they aren't a little bit into the, the disease, you know? Mm -hmm. So, so there is a fine line and we work really hard um, to keep a good balance of um, of just people and their social abilities and social interactions, and that it doesn't always make it easy. <laughs> no, I bet not. You mentioned that your homes can accommodate eight residents. Mm-hmm. What's the magic number about eight? It's really about staffing. It's really important to us to have at least two people in the homes because one of the things about people with Alzheimer's and dementia is they may have physical care needs that they can't take care of themselves, but they also have supervision needs. And so we want, we do our best to make sure that our residents are are well supervised and not only well cared for. So we may have a resident that needs, you know, some extended time from a caregiver taking care of a physical need. And then that leaves another caregiver there to be with, um, you know, the rest of the group Mm -hmm. and and continue whatever they were doing or, you know, just to make sure that they're all safe. Sure. Now, whenever you, you talked about some of the special things that you'll do for them and then, uh, 
you mentioned that they, they can watch while food is prepared. Um, you mentioned, or we talked about how there's a mailbox for the one resident, or if somebody wants mm-hmm. to sleep until 11, they're free to do that. Um, when you talk about the home and the environment, uh, what, what is a typical day like? Are there activities that, and I, I don't, I'll just say right up front, I don't know enough about this to know whether these kinds of things are even possible, but sure. um, do you have, you have some sort of a regular schedule and routine of activities that they can participate in? Or, uh, I mean, what, what is a day like for the yeah. residents? I had no idea going mm-hmm. into it. You know, as an elementary principal, I didn't have a model to follow. And uh, Michaela, my sister-in-law, who's a nurse, um, always tells me that I, that I don't live in the real world <laughs> when my expectations for care are what we provide, you know, um, with activities and, and our daily schedule. So we have two houses now. One of them has people that are earlier, mostly, in their dementia stage. And the other one is people that are a little further along. And it does look different in those houses. Um, the one where people are more social, they're not as far along in the disease process, we facilitate conversations. We may, um, they get up, you know, eight o'clock is usually a time where a lot of them might be sitting around the the table having breakfast. Um, And we will have a conversation about, you know, maybe this day in history, or we have a little question box that, um, that because a lot of them have lost the ability to initiate a conversation, mm-hmm. yet they can still participate in a conversation if they have some prompting and some guidance. Ah, good distinction there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so we'll even just pull a question out of the box that'll say, um, you know, if um, if you could have lunch with one person um, from your past, who would it be? Or um, you know, just just little things like that 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 um, that just spark conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, We do a lot with music at both houses. Um, At our house where people are a little bit further along in the disease process, it's amazing how um, there's still a lot left for them cognitively. They often just can't express it. So we play a lot of brain games, a lot of finish the phrase, um, Mm -hmm. don't count your chickens before, and then they can finish your sentence, they hatch. Um, so we might sit and do some kind of brain games in that way, um, followed by a sing-along. Uh, we sure. found that people who, um, even if they've lost a lot of their verbal abilities, they still can often sing along to a song. Mm-hmm. So we do so, a lot of that. So a lot of activity around uh, keeping the mind stimulated, yes. uh, reaching out and finding the connections that still yep. exist. Mm-hmm. And and making the day meaningful in that way yep, for the residents. It. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, I want to talk a little bit more about how you got this started and where you go from here. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Talk Radio. We'll be right back. I'm more resourceful than I thought. My suit can still make an impression. My video games are still game changers. And my lamp can bring others a bright future. Because when I donate my stuff to Goodwill, it helps fund job placement and training for people right in my community. Now my stuff gets a second chance. And will give someone in my community a second chance, too. Goodwill. Donate stuff. Create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. That's Goodwill.org. This message brought to you by Goodwill and the Ad Council. Interested in growing your business? 
Thinking Bigger Business Media has the resources you need to grow your company to the next level, whether it's an aspiring business, a startup, established, or mature. Thinking Bigger provides the how-to strategies, critical connections, and key information to make your business more productive and more profitable. Check them out at ithinkbigger.com and find out what successful Kansas City business owners already know. Thinking Bigger Business Media is the resource for growing businesses. Visit them today at ithinkbigger.com. I want to thank my mommy for loving me so much. For taking me to the doctor when I broke my foot. For leaving me alone when I wanted to be alone. And And now, as a grown-up, I'm thankful for being able to take care of you, my dear mom. For taking you to your therapies. For understanding that sometimes you simply want to be alone. Roles change without us noticing. That's why AARP gives you the information to provide even better care for your loved one. Visit aarp.org caregiving. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with Mandy Shoemaker. She is the co-founder of Prairie Elder Care, and she and her sister-in-law, Michaela Gibson, founded this organization for Alzheimer's patients. And we were talking in the first half about what some of the things are that they can offer and I found it very fascinating the kinds of things they do on a daily basis to help the residents reconnect with some of the, you know, she says, as she said, there's still cognitive ability there. You just have to be able to find it and to find out how to reach them. And I found some of that very fascinating. I also find fascinating that you were a uh, elementary school principal <laughs> and now you are caring for Alzheimer's mm-hmm. uh, residents. Tell us about the journey that took you from elementary, or if it even starts before that, you know, but your journey to where you are now. Yeah. Um, well, I was, um, and I started my education career in Oregon and um, became an elementary school principal when my youngest son, who is now 12, was three months old. And I loved being a principal, but in order to continue to do it, I, I needed the help of my mom. <laughs> um, so we moved back here in 2005, back to Kansas City. And um, I had a great time. I was a principal in Blue Valley for six years and then went to Olathe for a couple of years. Um, but felt uh, in, in my last year as a principal, um, I just felt different, Um I'd always had a really clear vision and conviction about what I was doing. And um, as and, and school violence had always been an issue, but um, when the school shooting at Sandy Hook happened, mm-hmm. um, something about it was uh, I could see that happening in, mm-hmm. in any school that I had ever been in. And, um, and I, and I just couldn't shake it. And it it not, it didn't so much scare me, but it made me less tolerant of the little issues in the school from day to day. Mm -hmm. Um, I felt like I had less patience to, you know, to focus on some of the things that maybe were smaller details, but still might impact the success of, of, of a teacher's day. Um, right. Like and and bullying also that I could do I I could be giving a hundred and twenty percent of myself to stop bullying from happening in my school and down the road five years later some someone might still commit suicide because they were bullied in my school right. I couldn't I just couldn't I couldn't come to an internal agreement about how to continue on with that. 
Um, so around that time, um, my parents had kind of had some issues. And Michaela is my sister-in-law. She's married to my brother, and our kids were smaller at that time, and my parents were helping a lot. And we started to see the tides turn in terms of how, mm-hmm. you know, how they were going to be able to care for them so or help us, you know, take care of them. And so um, we were – Michaela was the director of nursing at a big local facility, and we just felt between us that we could really make a difference in, in kind of the senior care world, I was going to have a big learning curve, but that was exciting to me. And so um, we bought a little consulting company um, and, and were focused on geriatric care management for a little while. And um, that just wasn't, we, we weren't finding our passion at that point, but we were helping people mm-hmm. find places to live. So right. as we went into places, we'd walk out going, man, we could do it better. There has <laughs> got to be a better way. And so for me, I took that, um, I really, as as a principal, had a passion for kids, special education students, and I really took that individualized approach to meeting student needs, and that's, and, and, and Michaela had already looked was already very passionate about the home setting. And uh-huh. so we took those things and combined them. And, and that's really, I feel like, the power of Prairie Elder Care. Um, Michaela's experience and just long-term commitment to seniors. And then my previous work with families and kids who were different, who we had to try right. different ways to reach. Um, so it's really well, been a great mix. It, it does sound like it's a really not a great mix. And if I recall, you also had some experience dealing with dementia and Alzheimer patients uh, when you were uh, growing up uh, as, as like a teenager. Um, you know, that was woman. Michaela. Um, that was Michaela. That was okay. Michaela. Yep. She grew up in a small town and her first job when she was 15 was working in a nursing home. <laughs> okay. So I had you two mixed up, but I knew That's that okay. one of you from a very, very young age, oh, yeah. a teenager, had um, experience uh, with that. Yes. So, so it, it sounds like a great blend and such a need right now um, in our society. Can you mm-hmm. talk with us about the uh, growing need and the growing population of people with these sorts of, uh, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, 66 people a day, I think, are diagnosed with dementia. Um, And, you know, that's going to be growing as, you know, as baby boomers are, you know, entering their 60s and and 70s. So so I think there was a... um, some of the KU physicians that do a lot of research on Alzheimer's uh, were actually on KCUR just a couple of days ago, and they were saying that, um, you know, in the next few years, there will be like 28 million people uh, with dementia. Um, a, mm. a huge concern about that, though, is is paying for it. I mean, this care is very um, resource-intensive. Uh, yes. So that that's a main concern that I have. I'm worried that they'll be, you know, I'm worried how we're going to accommodate the numbers of people who haven't saved and who aren't able to privately pay for the care that it requires. Right. And even for those who have saved, I mean, <laughs> I'm not trying to dismiss this larger problem because it's huge, mm-hmm. but uh, even for those who have saved, is there even an, are there even enough facilities to accommodate the people who can afford it? 
You know, in our area right now, I would say yes, there because there's been so much construction and, and the Kansas model is very much based on competition. Um, so they do not limit the number of, in, in our work we call it beds, so the number of beds available. Um, but in other states, uh, they keep really tight control on how many bed, you know, on building and construction and um, Missouri, for example. So there isn't the same kind of competition. And as um, the need kind of exponentially increases, I think it's going to be really hard for those states to have enough beds quickly enough in the time that they need them. Mm -hmm. To catch up. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, there's going to be this huge construction boom uh -huh. <laughs> at some point. Exactly. It sounds like. So talk to us about your experience as small business owners. You mm -hmm. came from uh, the educational side mm -hmm. of the world. Uh, your sister-in-law came from the healthcare side of the world. Mm -hmm. Neither of you had small business or business experience, uh, as I understand it. Yep. Uh, how have you learned that? Uh, what have you learned? Yeah. <laughs> well, experience. a lot. We talk a lot about things um, that, that sometimes you have to learn the hard way. Um, luckily, those lessons haven't been too detrimental to us. You know, we're still moving forward and, and having opportunities to grow. Um, you know, I'm kind of a forever student. Uh, I love learning new things and applying new things and, and critical thinking. And so I really um, just immersed myself in what I needed to know. And there's so many great resources out there. Um, yeah. You know, the SBA has, you know, uh, I mean, that was the first place I went to create our initial business plan. Um, I did take a, take advantage of some local resources. Central Exchange um, mm -hmm. was actually a really big factor for me because I was able to be around other people who had started businesses without business experience. And um, that helped me a lot with the sales side of things. I always used to say I was in education because I didn't want to sell anything. <laughs> so, right. yeah, so that was a little bit of a hurdle for me to get over. Um, but when you feel so good about what you are selling and that it's really the best thing out there, it's not that hard. <laughs> Right. Um, so I think also building a team around you is so important. And that's really the phase where we are right now is um, with growth, uh, we finally have the resources to look at, okay, who do we really want on our team now? And not people, you know, people that are more our advisors. Um, and, and that's been a great opportunity for us at this stage to kind of step back and say, okay, as we grow, who, who are our strongest advisors and, and how do we want to work with them on a regular basis? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you have to be so careful because uh, I assume that what you're doing is regulated. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's regulated. It is. And so the, the people that you hire that are providing the direct care, and that's – Another thing, you're hiring now to expand, but you and your sister-in-law, uh, as the owners, one of the unique things about uh, having I don't, having residents in your home is that you have the owners helping with the care, and you're not just off somewhere in an office. So as you grow, that's going to be uh, – you're going to have to decide whether or not that's going to continue mm -hmm. or whether – other people are getting, have you thought about that? <laughs> we think about it all the time. Yeah, and I'm, and I'm laughing while you're saying that because, um, Michaela and I have both spent the night this week 
and <laughs> one of our homes. So um, now, you know, it's, that's a double-edged sword because yes. for us, when we do that, we have a perspective um, about what's going on there and um, and we can better support our staff to make sure that they feel comfortable meeting the needs of all of our residents and that they're meeting our expectations. So I think I would say, um, and we do talk about it a lot because we don't, we, we certainly, um, you know, right now we only have two days off every two weeks um, because we, it's really important for us to stay engaged over the weekends. And um, so we do look forward to um, having another layer. However, you know, between us and the homes, however, um, we have very strategically planned how we will do that so that we are still in the homes every day. We feel like that is a major differentiating factor for us. Um, and we have very high expectations for what happens in each of our homes. And, and we would never want to be blindsided by something happening that we didn't know about. Right. So yeah. super important for us to still be there. Okay. What does the future hold for you? Uh, obviously, you're in a growth mode. You're mm -hmm. going to be opening your third home in 2017. We, we hope. Uh, where, <laughs> if everything where, stays on schedule. Sure. Where Where do you see things going? How big do you see this getting? Well, I, you know, what you just said uh, about us being involved, you know, I think – that is something that we don't want to compromise the integrity of what we're doing. So, um, so that'll always be a factor in how we grow. Um, at this point, um, we are we do have an aggressive plan for growth, but part of that um, aggressiveness is building in even more opportunities for our residents to have purposeful things to do. Mm -hmm. um, so we're not we we aren't to a point where we can share exactly what that'll look like, but we can't wait. Till we are because it's going to be really cool. <laughs> well, I'm sure anything that you have your hands in is really cool. So your uh, current homes are located in southern Johnson County, right? Uh-huh. They're around 155th and Quivira. And right now the residents are all women? Nope. Nope? Nope. Got to, okay. We, we so how does have, that work? Uh, you know, they um, they live together, men and women, and it works out uh, surprisingly well. Um, in, uh, in our home, our first home, which we call our Morse home, we actually are about half and half right now. We have about four, uh, men and four women. And then our other home, Harmony House, we call it, we have, um, two men and, uh, and six women. And, you know, it's just, everybody kind of bonds like a family. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it you, probably seems more natural. It does. Like a family when you yep. have both genders. Exactly. Yeah. Well, you're doing wonderful things. You and Michaela, I wish you nothing but success. Uh, congratulations again on winning the 25 under 25. Thank you. And if any of our listeners uh, who were not aware of the services that you offer would like mm -hmm. to get in touch with you, what's sure. the best way to do that? Go out to your website? Sure. Or? Yeah. If they go to our website, which is just prairieeldercare.com. Um, they can contact us a number of ways through the website. And um, we have a great video there that really shows them um, kind of the heart of what we do. And I think they'll find some good information. Well, thank you very much. Again, uh, prairieeldercare.com if you have additional questions or would like to talk with Michaela or with Mandy um, and, and just keep doing what you're doing. It's thank great. you. Thank you so much, Kelly. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at IThinkBigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at IThinkBigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.